Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul, and welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos podcast. And here we are, Paul, yes. at the grand finale yes. of season one, talking about associate agreements from an associate perspective, the cliffhanger that yeah. will lead us into season two. We reviewed a lot of great info, provided a lot of good insight for associates to go out there and increase success and decrease stress. I hope so. And um, hopefully, you know, this will kind of tie things together for a lot of people. So uh, today uh, we're doing sort of a, an ask me anything yeah. kind of format. Uh, my uh, amigo uh, went into the Dental Nachos community and polled people for Got some great questions. questions. From them, yeah. 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 It's good stuff. This is, these are real questions from real live dentists in the real live dentistry uh, world and uh, dentisting humans. Paul, yes. Yeah, that's you, like a, you, know the, you know, you're, you're technically a dentisting human. You just don't do any dentisting. So right. you know, I, I want to make sure it's as confusing as possible. A dental, but, kind of yeah. a dental related. Oh, you know? yeah. You're a dentist human. If you're married into dentistry, that's the toughest one, right? I, mean, <laughs> I know someone who's, who has that tough. So, yeah, you know, you, work, you yep. work with uh -huh. dentists, you know. So, uh, but yeah, it, these are, I think it's really important to get feedback from people going through stuff in the moment and also just who went a few years prior and how it can help our listeners kind of hear what's really happening out there, the, the good, bad, and annoying. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, learn from the mistakes of others. And that's yeah. what we, we say to people a lot. It's sort of what, what we as lawyers bring to the table is all the experience of all the people that have come before you, what yeah. they've done right and wrong and what the consequences have been. And, you know, it's, uh, you can, uh, you can try to avoid trouble by uh, being out For there sure. and keeping your eyes open and asking the right questions. I think it's what you're, I was just going to say what you said. It's really, most people think, I wish I would have asked that before I did this thing. And it could be from renting apartments, taking jobs, going to schools. I wish in that moment I had asked this question so I could have gotten more clarity. And that's what I think we're going to deliver here today. Yeah, right. And look, hey, just like anything in life, you're never going to have all the information right. to make a perfect decision. But the more information you have, the more experience you have, the better informed decision you're yeah. going to make. And most decisions that are better informed, you know, odds are you've right. the likelihood of being that making that a good decision just got a lot better. For sure. So uh, two categories here, and we're going to kind of bounce back and forth between them, Paul. First is, what is a question you have about being an associate in the real world of dentistry? And then the other is, have you experienced a problem as an associate that you would like to warn yeah. others about. Good so, one. you know, good, uh, this was a good format. And so we've got a couple different takes on things and looking here at the, at the answers, we have uh, the whole gamut of, of dentisting humans yeah. from a practice owner who started practicing in, in 1991 to uh, an associate 
um, who actually to a dental student yeah. in 2022. So current associates, you know, uh, pandemic infused associate times, which has been a whole thing as we've talked about over the past few years. So I think it's a, uh, it's great to get feedback from, you know, the whole, I always call it the circle of dentisting life, every age and stage. Huh? No, that's for sure. And you can learn from all of them. You can learn from what the stage that you're at from the people yeah. that came before you, and you can kind of learn what's coming next right. from those people that are ahead of you. So, uh, as always, it's good to, uh, good to be aware of, uh, of other humans and what they've yeah. gone through. So uh, we'll kick it off with uh, our first question, um, which is uh, from uh, the 1991 grad as a practice owner who said, a uh, question to ask would be, will new patients be evenly split as they present to the office? Yeah. Great, fantastic question. As an associate myself early with my dad and his partner, as a practice owner now, this is like such a great question to ask on an interview because if you think about it, how is the new associate going to get their schedule booked? How is their morale going to be enhanced by meeting patients that have not met the other dentist in the office? Let mm -hmm. me clarify. I'm sure you have this with clients. When you went saw my dad, whenever I saw a patient who was a patient of my dad's, it was, it was influenced by my dad being their dentist. So mm -hmm. I love seeing new patients because I was their dentist. So from yeah. a morale-based standpoint, it's great to just have relationships as a new associate with new patients. And it also gives you the opportunity to build your own patient base. So I've seen scenarios where the practice owner consumes all the new patients and mm -hmm. then the associate just flat out isn't busy enough. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and and also, I think, as you said, developmentally, it's a challenge too, because you as the dentist, you're training the patient. The, right. the patient is coming to you. The, you're, you're showing them what it's like to have an encounter with a right. dentist. And with dentists, same thing with lawyers. There's no right way to do it. There's no one way to do it. Everybody has their own yeah. style. And if somebody gets used to another dentist's style, you know, it makes it more difficult, I would think, for, for that sure. young dentist to say, well, here's a different way to do it. And it doesn't mean that it's wrong. Right. Such an it's important point. That happened, I'm sure that happens in all fields. I, so I actually think all the new patients to go to the new associates, and let me add in before someone shouts through their car, but what if they can't do the procedure? I mean, think of your field, Rob. If you had a new associate meet all the new clients mm -hmm. and someone said, I'm about to sell my six location practice to a DSO, and this is your new associate who's so motivated, but just started, right. they would say, I better ask Rob about that. So in our <laughs> office, they see the new yeah. patients, but we have a prosthodontist, we have a periodontist, so we train them how to triage or evaluate, is this case easy, medium, or difficult, and then mm -hmm. share with the patient, hey, we work here as a team. So I actually believe seeing all the new patients as the associate would be best, but at least as this, as this uh, our, our question asked, splitting them 50-50 would be you know, my, 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 I don't know, routine or mantra for success. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, that's good. And look, you know, you have the ability to control as, as a practice owner, the success of right. the associate, you know, you can set somebody up to succeed and you can just as easily set them right. up to fail. So I think, you know, I take home is it's for morale of the associate and it's also in the build their own schedule. And also as a practice owner, it's kind of nice to just have someone see the new patients for you. Yeah. I, I like it. <laughs> right. Sure. Like, and, and you want them to develop those relationships yeah. with somebody else. I mean, that's the reason why you're hiring them. For you don't, sure. don't hoard every relationship yeah. in the office. And if you want to do that, you probably shouldn't hire somebody. Such a good point. I mean, when we're going to talk about this in other seasons, but it's like, these are the things you want to go through in your thought process. Are you ready for an associate? But if we're talking from the, from the associate's perspective, this is your question to ask, are they really ready for you? And sometimes being ready for you is mentally being ready, emotionally being ready. Right. So, you know, that's a perfect point. 
right? And, you know, look for the red flags, the, the, the yellow flags, yeah. the orange flags, or the, the all different colors, and uh, go into it eyes wide open. If you see Love problems, it. reluctance, hesitancy to, to share patients or somebody that's uncomfortable with, with doing, providing you with what you think you, the skills and the, and the opportunity to succeed, then you have to reevaluate yeah. the position. Good, great point. And just because they might be paying you 40% of collections right. doesn't mean that that's the job that you should take. For sure. Okay. So rolling into the other category, uh, an experience, a problem that was experienced um, that you'd like to warn others about, um, this is a good one, um, not getting paid for work because no contract exists. Now, this is not so nuts to me, Rob, but there's a, a real scenario on my social media world where someone said, please post this anonymously. And this associate said, I worked for five days in this office. Uh, the job was not met, you know, my expectations were mismanaged. I gave uh, two days notice. I was mainly doing hygiene and I was not paid for my work. And just maybe since you are the lawyer in the room, I am. Yeah. some of the dentists said, well, too bad on this associate, you didn't have a contract. And I said to myself, that really sounds off. So yeah. maybe you could give us some insight. Well, well, you've spent enough time with lawyers, Paul, to <laughs> yeah. realize that that's not right, okay? And so your your spidey sense was right on there. That's one of those, those issues that when I roll through a Facebook group and see a yeah. thread that drives me, as you said, nacho nuts, right. because it's just flat wrong. In most states, the overwhelming majority, there are a few uh, oddball holdouts when it comes to this, but the overwhelming majority of states, which is where the law comes from yeah. in most employment law dealing with, with compensation. There are federal statutes and federal laws that deal with certain specific things. But for the most part, these types of issues, breach of contract cases yeah. and laws that deal with paying employees are generally, uh, generally a creature of state law. Most states have wage payment collection laws gotcha. or some sort of equivalent to that that requires employers to pay employees, right. regardless <laughs> of whether or not you have a contract. Right. Um, and you know, as you said earlier, Paul, when we were chatting before we we went live here, um, you don't uh, you don't have contracts typically with your front office right. people, with your office manager, with your receptionist. That doesn't mean that you don't pay right. them. I know. I didn't. I actually was in the most curiously spectacular way. I didn't really understand some of this feedback because not having a contract, you can't not pay people, you know, just because there's no contract. They right. came to work for you. Uh -huh. This happens all the time. <laughs> right. And, you know, the other people are saying, well, you know, we'll, we'll dig in this a little bit. You know, the associate didn't give enough notice. Well, that also is totally irrelevant for yeah. the work that was done. Mm -hmm. um, and in this scenario, there was no contract. So, you know, it's a, a, but obviously this happens more than people think. So you right. you had shared that you can, people say that, you know, I always said I want to be a lawyer like from a few good men around, but this is not usually the time to hire an attorney for a big lawsuit. Is that correct? Typically not. Well, in part because it's not big, right? right. I mean, this was this was $3,000. Sure. $3,000, $7,000, $10,000. You know, even if you have something in that would uh, entitle you to recovery of your attorney's fees, should you prevail, that means that you spend all right. the money and hope that you'll collect more money yeah. to cover it. So that's that's a, not necessarily a good road to go down. And while $3,000, $5,000, $7,000, $10,000 is real money, um, that's money that can go pretty right. quickly if you're hired a lawyer. So the good news is with most of these statutes in most of these states, they allow you to file a complaint with the Department of Labor to say that I wasn't paid. I should have been paid. Yeah. Here's my evidence. Here's my proof. Here's here's my situation. And then the Department of Labor goes and investigates the claim. Yeah. They go to the employer. They ask for records 
of you know uh, personnel records, tell me when the, this person right. was working, tell me what you paid them. And then they do all the heavy lifting. You don't have to pay them. Right. And then if they determine that you're owed money, which is, you know, if you worked for four or five days and didn't get paid, right. Right. Yeah. you're owed something, <laughs> right? right? Yes. Like that's, you're not 13th Amendment. You can't work for free. That's <laughs> yeah, not a yeah. thing in this country, thankfully. And uh, so they'll go after the employer and they'll send them this nasty letter and uh, complaint and say, you know, we have, as a result of our investigation, we've determined that you owe Dr. Goodman $7,240. Yeah. You better pay him within 10 days yeah. or else. And the or else in some states may be that this is a summary criminal offense. So it's not like a misdemeanor right. necessarily. So it's pretty um, serious. And, but it could be. And if you're yeah. a practitioner, why? I mean, just do the regular thing, right? Whether you're angry someone's leaving with short notice, whether you're frustrated, you know, what really bothered me about this whole scenario, and I, you know, many people, it's like, this associate provided care that the owner billed for, right? And then yeah. to just turn around, you should, you should always pay people. But in this, to make this situation just more problematic, like the associate rendered care for pay, that were patients were billed for, right? right? Wasn't like the associate was observing for five days, and there's so it made it just while you should be paid no matter what. It's just you know, I, I the community really kind of gave her some great feedback, you know, in, in that some of it Department of Labor, some of it some people were saying a lawsuit wouldn't be worth it, but I think this, I mean, I see this crop up more often than people would think. Yeah, I and mean, the, the first move needs to be, I mean, you could talk to a lawyer about it, but you know, overwhelmingly, you know, the, the best scenario is probably gonna be go to the Department of Labor, file the complaint, doesn't cost you anything. Now look, sometimes the Department of Labor, the strength in whatever state you are, the strength of that avenue is gonna depend on how diligent that investigator is. Yeah. So just like anything, there's some investigators that are not afraid to dive in and try to really get to the bottom of it and make sure you get paid. And there are others that, mm, you know, whatever, I'm just, I'm out of here at 4.30. Yeah, yeah. I don't so really care. But hey, it doesn't cost you anything. And just the process of going through that for the employer that has not paid, uh, it's, it's a challenging thing, you know, yeah. because they, whether or not the, the investigator determines that that practice has to pay the employee. The practice is definitely going to have to produce records, answer questions, respond to document requests. Right. You know, and it's not a comfortable thing. And, yeah. and most normal, sane people, when they're going right. through that, the bell goes off. It may have taken this this practice right. center a little longer than most, <laughs> yeah. but maybe I should just pay this person the twenty one hundred dollars I owe them, <laughs> right. right? And this will all go away. Yes. Right. You know. And, and, and uh, that that's um. Really great advice. I want to share just a fun story is that one person on Dental Nacho showed their was owed thirty thousand dollars and showed their practice owner that hey, this is what people had said and got a ten thousand dollar check. That thirty thousand dollars was owed from past collections. So he was leaving the practice and to him at least he got ten thousand dollars instead of zero. So it yeah. sounds like there's ways to get people to act in a way that's just how we should act amongst professionals. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and again, some people, it just takes them a little longer, yeah. a few extra nudges to, to, to see the I light. Mean, I just want to share, no one's, this person, they weren't asking for extra. They were just asking to be paid for what they did. It was a pretty reasonable thing. And I think it's reflective of why what we're doing with the podcast and sharing is so important to kind of just get responsible practices into our into our profession. For sure. Yeah, no, great point. So, you know, swing over to the other column. So a related question to that is, how do you get a contract from an employer if they aren't willing to provide one? And I will say, on the heels of what we just talked about, where you should get paid, you're 
required to get paid if you yeah. if you work, regardless of whether or not you have a contract. I will say to most associates, if you're working for an employer who's not giving you a contract, that may not be a bad thing. Right. Right. So for the most part, and these are generalizations, yeah. right? Once again, you heard- Tell her, us more why someone's listening and said, Rob, the attorney said, now, because I think I know your train of thought, there could be benefits to not having a contract as an associate because what I'm listening to is because there's less restrictions. Is that right? Or there's there's less control? Or right. what, what, tell us, or tell our listeners about that. So overall, you know, there is some give and take. There's some things that are good for an employer in a contract, and some things that are good for the employee. Yeah. But um, there's a lot more good for the employer in a contract yeah. than for the employee. Um, so. For the most part, most of what you're going to have in there that is problematic for the employee, uh, you know, if you don't have a contract, then you're not dealing with those yeah. things. And to your point, we're talking about restrictive covenants. Yeah. If you don't have a written agreement, then you don't have a covenant not to compete. Right. You know, you don't have a non-solicitation. Yeah. And and that's a big that's a big pain point for uh, for a lot of people if as they transition, looking for a new job, looking to purchase practice, do a startup, that their hands have been tied yeah. by a restrictive covenant. Um, there are other provisions in there, such as the requirement to give a certain amount of notice, um, the potential penalties for not giving that notice. Yeah. Um, I want to jump in, Rob, and say though, and it's, you know, it's kind of like, but to me, it's a yellow flag that the employer doesn't want to give you a contract because it's like I give everyone contracts mm -hmm. mainly to manage expectations, sure. not to protect myself, but some yeah. of it's to protect my business. Some of it's you have six different people working for you. So to me, I feel like when you offer a contract to a to an associate, you're you're trying to do best practices. Right. And so that mm -hmm. to me is just a little bit of the yellow flag where you were showing, mm -hmm. yes, you don't have to worry about restrictive covenants, but sure. then maybe how serious are they about this position at all? Yeah. Or how good are they at running their business? Yeah. You know, it's just, as you said, best practices. This is what you should do as a practice owner, yeah. just for your own good, for right. the sake of the practice and yourself, protecting the goodwill of the practice yeah. and managing expectations. So I agree, Paul. Yeah. You know, somebody that doesn't take the time to do that is a bit of a head scratcher and it's a yeah. yellow flag. You know, what other things aren't they doing that need to be done in the practice, which is, as we talked about in an earlier episode, the relationship between the associate dentist and the practice owner is a quasi-partnership in a lot yeah. of ways, especially if you're talking about being paid on a percentage of collections, right? You have to depend on the practice owner's ability to set fee schedules well, to put in you know, policies and, and protocols yeah. that, that allow you to collect the money that's due to you. So I agree, you know, if, if somebody's not doing this, what else aren't they doing? And what impact can that potentially have yeah. on your ability to earn a living because mm -hmm. this quasi partner of yours doesn't do the right thing when it comes to operating their business. Yeah, and they just kind of want to just jump in with something that like, if you're a practice owner asking for someone's contract off the internet, it's not a good practice either because no. these things like treatment plans are customized to your practice. Yeah. So a restrictive covenant that makes sense in Texas may not make sense at all in New York City and vice versa. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and, and that's one that we that drives us crazy yeah. too. And we look at it and we see it right away. You know, and you start looking at this and you ask the client questions when we're talking to them. Is this relevant to you? No, I have no idea what they're right. talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Clearly, this came from like somebody's buddy from dental school right, yeah, that, yeah. that shared <laughs> yeah. a, a document that was created in Word Perfect, you know, 25 right. years <laughs> yeah. ago, right? And got converted to Word. It was PDF reconverted to Word and passed around 
you know, like a chain letter, yeah. and it's uh, not uh, not a quality piece of work that has all kinds of extraneous things that then you have to kind of back out. So that's yeah. like the other extreme of bad. Uh, okay, next one uh, coming in from a uh, an unidentified dental student. Gotcha, we don't know what yeah. year they are, but they're asking Paul: Is it easy to pick your desired schedule? For example, I would love to work four days a week, Monday through Thursday, or Tuesday through Friday, or even Wednesday through Saturday, or are you forced to work certain days or hours most of the time? This is somebody that has not entered the job, yes. the job market yet. I'm not, I, I, I cast no judgment, however. Right. You know, like I commend, sometimes working sucks, yes. right? And you gotta go and do it. I commend the uh, dental student for thinking about this, and I commend them for knowing themselves and having self-awareness, a big Gary Vee fan, to saying, I would like to work four days a week. The way to make something like this happen is to get a lot of options and maybe put together a schedule where you work Monday, Tuesday, one place, or Wednesday, Thursday, another place. As someone who manages the schedule with my brother, Jeff, of many dentists, it's not as easy as it is to just pick whatever day you want to work because there's things like, when do the dental assistants come? How late do we work? So while I think it's really great to have an idea of what you would like, sometimes that Monday through Thursday schedule enhancing your flexibility mentally on that for your own success mm -hmm. is important. Like I work Saturdays for the first 10 years of my career twice a month. Right. Doesn't mean you should definitely go and work Saturdays, but what I would share is, you know, in a the most kind but firm way is that you most often the associate needs the job more than the owner operator needs them in private practice. We right. talked about DSO, it's a different world. Mm -hmm. But the ability to pick your schedule is limited early in your career. As you move forward, you become a big part of the office. I'm sure it's just like with your your team and my team at Dental Nachos. If someone who worked with me for four years said, hey, Paul, it's really important for me to do this on Wednesdays with my mother because it's the only day she's off and I want to work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 10 hours a day, I might consider that for someone who I have a relationship with. Right. But I'm usually not going to consider that right off the bat. Right, right. And, you know, and it probably the optics of that, of that request, yeah generally wouldn't be met really well, I would think. I mean, I, totally. I would be turned off if somebody yeah, came in. So these, the, I'd like to work for you, Rob, <laughs> but I'd like to work from Sunday from noon to five. Well, that's great. There's yeah. no, nobody's working at that time and nobody's calling <laughs> right. us. So yeah, I'm yeah. not sure what you're going to do from Sunday noon to five. Where it just, uh, it, it shows sort of a uh, kind of a, a lack of flexibility and unwillingness to cooperate. And I'll just throw this out, Paul. Maybe, as you said, maybe the better conversation is, hey, okay, these are the days and the hours. Would you be, as time goes by, if things come up, would you be flexible to exploring other days and other hours? Maybe that's the question the associate yeah. asks. And I would think, to me, sounds reasonable. Like you said, it, sure, and it's maybe. Also the, what goes to this, and this goes for personal and professional life, always be explaining your why in a way that's comfortable to you. If I went back to Dental Nachos headquarters, the six people working there, and said, hey, guys, we're taking May 10th off. End of story. It would be very abrasive. I would say, hey, guys, May 10th is Daphne's graduation from school. We're going to have off. Now it feels totally different, right? Sure. When you're the employee or the person, say that too. Hey, one of the reasons I can't work on Friday is because my grandmother's sick and that's the day that no one can be with her. That's a very different feeling for the person versus just, I want to work Monday through Thursday. Right. So, I mean, I just think it's good, good, you know, interpersonal skills advice. I think lawyers, Rob, get a much better test during their law school and working in firms and seeing how things work. And, you know, in, in the reality, sometimes this is literally the first full-time job a dentist has had. It's not their fault. They went to college, they went to dental school, they've done things right, but they don't really know how the world of business works a lot. Yeah, no, it's true. Well, most lawyers are just as bad, Paul. Oh, gotcha. So you're in our same boat. We, we, well, we do a better job at, at mentoring and bringing yeah. up young people here. I'll pat ourselves. Yeah. Right. Me on the back and my, my team, right? But no, but I, I get what you're saying. 
But that that's increasingly an issue, though. You know, let's just kind of stray a little bit when you talk about just generational differences that, yeah. you know, this is we're now in the world where in order to get into, you know, a good dental school or a law school, you have to go to a very competitive college. You yeah. have to do really well. Uh, in order to get into a competitive college, you have to do really well in high school and you have to spend, I don't know how many hours you spend prepping for the SAT right. now, like the biggest waste of time, right? Taking <laughs> right, those yeah. prep classes. I mean, we were lucky back in our day, you kind of like, maybe you did like a two hour Saturday thing. Yeah. Like they say, here's a practice test and here's a couple of pointers. And right. you're like, woohoo, you that know, and everybody, right. everybody was in the same boat. Now, I mean, people dedicate like a, a significant chunk of their, of right. their lives yeah. to like, Preparing for this 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 standardized you yeah, know it's pretty meaningless. test yeah horrible yeah, yeah. I mean, it translates nothing right to your future but my point is there's no time right if you right. if you have to study that much in high school you have to study for the SAT you have to study for school and then you get into college and you have to do all these other programs and all this stuff you get to the point where like there's no time to work anymore right you know exactly. and so to have that practical life experience. Um, is you know, sometimes you know is difficult even yeah. if people would like to have it you yeah. know because you can't get to that point if you were also bagging groceries perhaps and then you also know? you know and I mean do the person on the other side of the table and you know I'll, I'll you know it could be me in certain ways like a twenty five year practice owner they're not so good at interviewing either right so we have mm -hmm. like we have two groups and I just think what we we're delivering is just helping this because you know the practice owner might be the first person they've ever had to hire of their professional equal yeah. ever in their entire lives. Sure. And that's, you know, that's, it's not like they have developed this skill set. So I think, you know, going into it with curiosity, going into it with explaining your why. And also, you know, my thing is mental flexibility is a really big key to being successful early in your career. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And look, as you said, going both ways, uh, this is one of the challenges of being a, a professional practice owner, that you have to wear all these hats. Right. And, you know, you, you didn't learn how to be the IT person. You didn't learn how to be the marketing person, the HR person, how to hire, how to recruit. Right. You know, you went to dental school. You know, that's what you learned how to do. And that's okay. But as a small to medium-sized business owner, the owner of a professional yeah. practice, you don't have the luxury of just doing that one For thing. For sure. You know, and so... You know, just like anything, avail yourself to resources that help you ask better questions as an associate. Yeah. Asking as better questions is a good theme. Uh, so uh, swing over to the uh, experiential uh, question. Uh, this person who is a 2019 grad and associate now has a bunch of things. And, and these are, this is almost like a recap of uh, yeah. season one here. Uh, they said these are some problems that they'd warn people about. Unpaid working interviews. Being told one thing during the interview process, but then another after being hired. Uh, it being completely different, such as how busy, expected production, patient treatment being poached by owner docs, being paid as a 1099 instead yeah. of a W-2. That's part of what we talked about Yikes. this year. Yeah. yeah. Well, let me just lead off with this before we get in. And, and look, whoever this is, not being critical. Yeah. But um, some of these things, definitely, you, you knew going into it that right. this was the case. I don't think it was a surprise when you were paid as a 1099 instead of a W-2, right. right? Like you knew that when you took the job. Um, and, uh, but, you know, unpaid working interviews, we talked about that. Yeah. Not a good idea. Not a good idea Don't say yes to, I mean, my, my whole thing is, I mean, some things are just like really good. Don't say yes to clinical working interviews. To me, I have not heard any benefits from those that are appreciable that I would appreciate. I've heard so many risks, right? So yeah. it's like, if you hear so many risks, so when you, A, not getting paid, doing work on people you don't know, not sure if you have the right instruments, follow up on people, you know, it's like, 
you know, why these practices invite someone in to do work on their patients for a day that they don't know if they're going to hire just blows my mind. Uh-huh. I don't understand it in no, any way, no shape, sense. or form. It's not good for anybody. And then to kind of get the salt in the moon of not being paid for this, right? Yeah. I think, you know, to be honest, on what I hear on, here on the nacho street sometimes is they're often asked to do this to kind of fill in for a temporary for the day when they don't have an opera. They're not really want to <laughs> hire anyone, right? So, I mean, <laughs> so you know, if someone says, I'm looking to hire an associate, I need three I days. And they go, oh, that was when you were in, you know, Key West. <laughs> they yeah. go, you know, so uh, I, I just think, that's say no to working, clinical working. We yeah. say yes to obser- observation days. I think one of the things that this whole list of stuff here, you know, that we talked a lot about this season with 1099 versus W-2, it's a contract issue asking a questions, but owner dentist post poaching the work, um, how busy you're going to be, you would learn a lot by observing the practice and asking good questions. Right. How far is the schedule booked out for? Oh, you know, if I saw a patient that needed four crowns, would I be able to put that in my own schedule or or you and hear what they have to say? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And but look, look, there are some things here though that, that is they're tricky to navigate though. I mean, uh, yeah. being told one thing during the interview and then something else yeah. when you show up for work, um, that's a tricky one to manage, Paul. Right. You know, um, I mean, I think there's another question that we're going to cover here in, in, a, in a few minutes, but actually it's the next question. So this will be a good, a good lead into it. But, you know, this may demonstrate the importance of trial periods. Love that. Um, having the opportunity either through the observation day or through a one, two, three month trial to go in with, with your eyes open. Uh, and look, if somebody tells you one thing and then it turns out to be another, then that's probably time to start looking for another I mean, job. People can't hide that, but I think this one is this one where I talk about the four different associates in. Um, yeah, let's roll on that. Yeah, so yeah, this is the next the that. next experiential question. So you want to read that one, Paul? Yeah, yeah. I worked four different associates in five years. So it was really difficult to tell if I was going to enjoy working in an office right away. I am, because I am optimistic for my current position. I signed a shorter term contract three months and was very upfront with the owner that it was a trial period and I was paid daily. Once this was. Up and I knew I loved it there. We added the typical production and other full time stuff. I think um, essentially don't look at don't lock into multi year contracts without testing the waters. The three months was key um, for that. I think you know you can add in a lot of value here too, Rob. I love this idea. If an associate came with this idea, I would say I would really admire them. If they said, yeah. "Hey, Doctor Paul and Jeff, I think this is a great practice. Why don't we set something up for ninety days and see what happens?" I think pe- people can't hide their reality for 90 days. So, I mean, you know, you could hide your reality for everyone can act on their best behavior in practice for a day, right? <laughs> Three months your assistants, like, don't fight today, right? I'll, I'll bribe you. You can bribe me. Please don't fight today. Um, but, uh, and, I, and I also think that it's, it's just a really authentic, genuine way where it could be a no harm, no foul. It might not just be the right place. Maybe the pace is off. Maybe, uh-huh. you know, so tell me what you've seen. Cause I, you know, I know Anna's talked to me about this before in the past too. Like what, tell me about these 90 day, Agreements. Have you heard about them more, or, or talk about where there's no restrictive covenant involved? You know. Yeah, I mean, we don't see it. it. It's not the most common mechanism. Yeah. I will tell you that. You know, a lot of times we feel like it's appropriate for an associate to ask for that in an agreement, um, but you know, generally most contracts are not going to provide for that. Uh, where really, what, but the mechanism is, it's not necessarily a 90-day contract. It's because most agreements are going to provide that most, yeah. I say. Uh, it's a one-year term, but either party can terminate on 30 days notice, right? Gotcha. So where, as you said, where the, where the rubber really hits the road, though, is with the restrictive right. covenant, where 
you know, if it's not going to work out for you, you don't want to work there for 30 days and then to leave with a a two-year, 15-mile non-compete. Yeah. Right? And we've talked about that in an earlier episode, what the ramifications of, of that could be. So really what we're talking about is a trial period on the non-compete because the non-compete is what prevents like you great. from being flexible, right? The problem is you're going to see this in big corporate contracts, you know, with DSOs, you know, that's probably going to be something that they're going to to really uh, shy away from. Um, and when we talked about the fact that a lot of them are trying to require people to work for fixed terms a year or two or three without yeah. being able to leave, period, let alone trial periods on non-competes. So I might be it, optimistic, Rob, but just I'm actually curious because I like this question. She said, you know, would do the short, the 90 days. I think the wording is not, you know, not a 90 day contract, 90 day trial period, and everything kicks in after the right. Why is the DSO against that? I think they're just trying to get people and lock them to the practice. No, no, I, I feel like in every relationship, it could be anyone, it could be a friend, it could be, uh, you know, try, being on a, if Daphne's like ballet teacher said, you got to sign up for a year yeah, to yeah. come here once. I go, right. this is so dramatic, right? Yeah. So, you know, well, I, let's, go, let's even take it another step farther, even a step farther and a step funnier. We're going to date. We're going to date for one year. <laughs> right. What, what if after the second date, we don't like each other? One year, we're <laughs> yeah. dating. You know, or, there's or, no or there's terminating. A financial there's penalty. no tape terminating this courtship. Or it's it. better. It's like if you, if, we, if, we, if you do terminate, you can't date anyone in the four block radius here, right? <laughs> so you got to walk around. Can we go to this restaurant? No, it's within my restricted dating covenant, right? But I like Park, right? Love we went there last night. I love it. So, and also, one of the things yeah. is I'll kind but, of- But Paul, if somebody said that to you, you'd be like, you're nuts. No, yeah. I'm so, not, we're not, we're not going to sign that. I'm not going to agree yeah. to that. But you know what? People sign these contracts, right. you know, and, and sometimes, Paul, they do it knowing what they're signing up for. And sometimes they just sign the contracts and they have no idea right. what they've signed themselves up for. And, you know, we've talked about this a hundred different ways. You know, if you don't understand and don't know what you're signing yourself up for, then, you know, come what yeah. may. It's a, no, it's, it's such a good point of being purposeful, being aware. And I think, you know, uh, it, it, you know, you, it, as an associate, you always can float ideas and say things like, let's do a 90 day trial period. So we make sure we're a good fit and then everything will kick in after that. And then, you know, you got 90 days, but you're not going to be not able to work where your, your spouse is right. right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, sure. a, it's a, um, a, a really, uh, restrictive thing, that's the name of a restrictive covenant that impacts your ability to make a living, then practice owner, they're still owning the practice. Mm -hmm. So it's just for, for associates to remember how much this can really impact their ability to work. Right. And 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 look, and, and be real with it. Yeah. If you see this as a problem, if you see this yellow flag, you see this orange flag, yeah. you see this red flag, see it for what it is, that this yeah. is possibly an opportunity that you shouldn't take. Right. And if you think that it may, and then if you should, you should, you know, exhibit some sort of skepticism. If you have that skepticism, then you have to start thinking about what's this going to look like when it ends? Right. You know, sure. what am I going to strap be saddled with? Am I going to get paid my 35% of collections if I'm not working there anymore yeah. for trailing money that comes in? What's my non-compete? What's my non-solicitation? You know, what what are the ramifications of all this? For sure. I mean, you, you've used this, Rob, before. There's no really good breakups or all breakups. It's, you know, the, the challenging part is Practice owners and associates are supposed to break up at some point. Mm -hmm. At some point, 
partners, you know, we'll talk about in another season, that's a different story. You maybe you're supposed to break up at the same time and sell the practice, right? But when you're an associate and practice owner, you're trying to find out what is the next step. You know, people come to Dennis Job Connect and say, I'm back, I need another ad because my associate bought a practice and they're pretty happy. Sometimes they say, I need another ad because my associate took six hours to do one crown. Right. But both of those are breakups, right? Right, right. And like you said, there's no really, really good breakups. No, some are better than others, yes. but yeah, a breakup's a breakup, right? Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, you know, we'll spin into the next question here. And now I'm starting to, this is why I love when we do these things, yeah. you know, like we, we did not come into this with a theme of why trial periods are good. Like that right. was not the main thing, but this next question kind of fits into the same thing, which is, you know, uh, a question I wish I had asked would be, when can we review how I am fitting right. in your practice to be sure we are both able to treat patients as well as possible and to see how, and if things are working out, right. Um, if is going well, is there an opportunity to renegotiate my associate contract or discuss possible partnership? So, you know, the first part of that is, you know, look, when are you going to revisit to see if we're fitting in and everything? Well, here you go. Here's right. your 90 day trial. You know, is this is this a good thing? Is it maybe? Is it a really bad thing? Yes. You know, is it a great right. thing? Yes. You know, is it a thing that we should give a little more time to? Possibly. But, you know, that. That's a good answer to the beginning of that question, I feel like. Yeah, it gives people the opportunity to ask, uh, sometimes uncomfortable, but genuine questions about how things are going moving forward. Sometimes it's the practice owner saying that, I don't know if this is the right place for you. The pace at which you do work in this PPO office is, might not be where you're fitting for. And, and it doesn't mean you're a terrible dentist, but maybe the practice owner has been biting his or her tongue about the the, the associate not being fast enough, right? I'm just, it's just, it's just a setup for, it's setting up people for a successful conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's awesome. I think you should ask that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we did this in previous Amigo episodes and Jeff and I are, you know, have problems. Like, you know, do we do enough reviews? Probably not. So it's yeah. great if you hold yourself accountable to, hey, it's 60 days, we're going to sit down for 90 minutes uninterrupted and talk mm -hmm. about this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it benefits, it, it benefits the practice owner, it benefits the associate. Yeah, for sure. You know, you put the time in, you know, generally there's good return on that investment. So the rest of the question is interesting. You know, if it's going well, is there an opportunity to renegotiate the contract or discuss possible partnership? I think that's a good question to have at the outset. Yeah. You know, most... Uh, associate agreements that deal with the potential for a future buy-in aren't what we consider to be contractually enforceable. Yeah. You know, we'll talk about buy-ins um, in, in a coming episode. But uh, so what that means is it may have language in the agreement that'll say, if you like me and I like you, we'll explore the possibility. Yeah. You see all these sort right. of ifs and catches One and of the things I'll but, share, we'll get... but so it's not enforceable. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that that's not a conversation that should be had because even though you can't have something that's a contract, if I say to you, hey, how do you feel about this? And you say, I don't like tomatoes. Yeah, right. Like, I know you don't like tomatoes, right? right? Like, and, and even though that doesn't, that's not in a contract, I know where you stand with that. Now, you can BS me too and yeah. say, yeah, I think I'd right. like to have a partner someday. And then I get there and I see flat out that that's, you know, that was a lie. But look, you know, sometimes the best you can do is just to try to explore that, get to know the person and 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 ask them, you know, are you interested yeah. in ever having a partner? And they say, maybe. Okay. I, I like that answer. I or also absolutely think not. You know where you stand. Such good questions also just for of delivering value. Someone has been doing this since 2002. Outside of family situations where you're an associate to your parent, I have not seen many associates turn into partnerships with their first associate job or second. Mm -hmm. They go buy another practice. I have seen the switcheroo, which we'll talk about later, where basically the associate buys out the dentist and then they become the associate. Mm -hmm. But just sharing that 
the concept of being a, a solo practice, being able to turn into a partnership doesn't happen that often. So if you're an associate and you really think about getting a good associate experience, first yeah and you may not want to you it's also sometimes it's also not a great question to ask because you don't even know if you want to be the partner there yet yeah right you know so you say now you have this older dentist thinking oh i'm selling to this young guy and you go i don't even like this town right you know <laughs> yeah, right, so right. maybe you know i thought that was really good good value to have these conversations at reviews but not be kind of good to married to the outcome yeah and i think it's a good it's a good point that you know if it's and it depends on the practice you right. know if, if it's a practice with three associates that, right. that has the ability potentially to have a partnership right. as a transition mechanism, maybe. But if it's a solo dentist who's hiring their first associate, uh, yeah, it's got to be a long time right. before that a partnership, could, enough for a partnership could make a sense. Make yeah, sense totally. Uh, okay, let's roll on. Next one. Uh, this is an experiential uh, question. Um, too many to list all, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. here is one. This is a 2017 grad associate. Had to move after GPR due to spouse's job. Owner refused to compensate more than 25% of adjusted production and blamed it on regional differences. If anything, it was an undesirable location and compensation should have been higher. Needed a job and other aspects seemed promising, so I took it, but I should have held out and kept looking for more options once settled in the new location. So. That's, that's, this is a great one. I, I was like when someone lines. blames something on something. You know what I blame on someone? I'm late for something. I go, it's because of the supply chain. I'm late, right? <laughs> I couldn't get here on time. Supply chain, right? So they go, they're blaming the 25%. So right off the bat, that is a red flag there. I think this person authentically shared something that I think is important to talk about. When you have to move for a reason that has nothing to do with you, you're going to have limited options. Doesn't mean you're not going to have any options. Right. But if we read this carefully, this associate moved for the her, his or her spouse's job. So that means they're going to go to an area where they likely don't know anyone. Mm -hmm. What I would say some situ to set yourself up for success is go to that area ahead of time, visit dentists in the area, get as many options on the table as possible because it looks like this is what the associates at the end, I should have held out and kept looking for more options. That falls into my desperation causes disasters type of thing. But this is happening a lot, Rob, as we see the, mm -hmm. the mobility of the workforce. Yeah, And oftentimes the dentist job is more portable than their spouses. So yeah. they say, hey, we're going to Austin, Texas because this big company, I'm the now the VP, executive VP of this place and you're gonna have to find a dental job because you could be a licensed dentist. So I think that's a really... Uh, relevant question or relevant point to this kind of age we're living in. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that you know I, I think I, admittedly, yeah, they 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 went into all this knowing what they were accepting, but you know, like they said at the end, you know, I should have held out and kept looking for more options. You know, and I think you know we've talked about this in in a couple of different ways in different contexts. You know, try to you know start looking for work early. Yeah. You know, set yourself up to succeed with that. Have multiple options. I mean, look if if the only if the job you take is the only job you could get, wow, you know, you're spinning. You're really yeah. you know spinning the uh, spinning the wheel with that. And, yeah, and I, I think that using the out. dating world, you'd see that some people go, uh, I need to find someone to date. Do you know anyone? I go, well, if you're only going to go with who I know, you're going to limit it. You're going to have to use online dating. You're going to have to go out into the community. You're going right. to have to show up at restaurants, and that's the same thing with jobs. Put your face in as many places as possible, virtually and in person, to give yourself as many options as possible. Right. Hey, choices are good. Right. You yeah. Know, like uh, this practice was only paying what is it, twenty five percent of adjusted production. You know, like, this other one's paying thirty five percent of collections. This one choices provide context too, because I, it drives me crazy when someone I put a poll question once and someone said, "I'm really angry. I went on a job interview, and they didn't say in the ad that you have to work Saturdays, but 
the dentist says you have to work one Saturday a month. I wish I never went on the interview. And I go, that's such a bad attitude because you got to meet a dentist. You got to talk to the dentist. Right. Maybe there was a miscommunication. They didn't tell you you had to work till midnight every night. And maybe you would have you liked to practice so much that you would have worked one Saturday. But if working one Saturday was your deal breaker, then just don't take the job. But I just think that dentists, my people, we want to know the answer before we take the test. And this world of finding a job, it's anything but that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure. And look, we'll roll into the next question here, another experiential yeah. one. But I'll say, you know, as a preface to this, this is a challenge of a young dentist you know, coming out of, out of dental school, not understanding the right. business of dentistry, not yeah. knowing what to look for, not knowing what to ask. And so the, this this person said, and this is a practice owner from 91, so this is somebody that's going back, you know, 30 yeah. plus years. This is what I did wrong then, you know, which is, the number of hours worked for the compensation can be a very cloudy area. You are paid on a percentage of the amount collected, right? So yeah. as I always say, two variables, you know, 35% of what, right? right? Um, and if that office participates in Medicaid, you are or may be essentially working for yeah, free. So, before. you know, if you are going to work in an office, it's important to understand what the fee schedules are what the Medicaid fee schedule looks like. Is there capitation? Is it fee for service? Yeah. How much do they charge for a crown? You know, sure. because you're going to get 35% of that, you know, and if they're getting 35% or 40% or 25%, that is sort of the, uh, I will say the, the misleading lightning rod. Of, for sure, you know, because 25% of, of zero, not a, ma not a mathematician, is zero. Yeah, it's and not this good, is why, right? just going back to these episodes, we offer in our practice, an NMW, no matter what guarantee, to every single dentist for coming in. Now, we won't get into each aspect of this with draws and you listen to previous episodes, but it's just important to get some sort of guaranteed. If you are not going to get some sort of guarantee of income, you may get paid zero. It's as simple as that. Right. 600 a day, 700 a day, $5,000 a month. Hundred thousand for the year. When if you do not have that, you might get twenty five percent of zero, just like this dentist saying. Because sometimes there's plans that pay nothing for what you do. Right. Yeah. No, it's a good point, Paul. Uh, so let's uh, just take a, a couple more. We'll sure. wrap it up. Uh, I'm going to swing, skip ahead over to uh, a couple of experiential ones that are you know, somewhat related. Um, contracts that hurt you when you leave norms or pay and how to leave a practice without it being acrimonious. Um, you know, breakups are breakups, yeah. as you said. Um, but, you know, contracts that hurt you when you leave, you know, this is something that is a problem that you want to warn other associates yeah. about. That means understand what's in the contract. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't need to be that way. You know, if, especially like we talked about, sometimes you won't have a contract, most of the time yeah. you will. But when you have that contract, I mean, that's the rules of the road. You know, that's the rules of the game. You know, and if you sat down to the table and started playing that game without knowing what the rules are going to be right. because you didn't bother to read them, then that's a problem. I mean, that's you what know? you guys really, I, I appreciate how you've kind of described that what dental focused attorneys do is make you aware of what you're signing. We had an episode on contractual awareness. And I learned something just listening each time because there's very confusing things from termination uh, notice, restrictive covenants, non-solicitation. Um, there's just, 
it could be very confusing. And just like I always say, Rob Montgomery can read the back of the bonding bottle for dentistry, but you would really mess up a filling. And you know, oh, dentists- on, man. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I might be able to pull it off. Yeah, but you know, dentists trying to read where has out tar, I mean, even the language in the contracts, it, it's become, I think, sometimes less lawyerly, but sometimes I just yeah. zone out halfway through. Sure. And I know it's your words, just like uh -huh. you would zone out when it says etch and silane. So it's, you know, I think con stuff that hurts you is stuff you're not aware of. And they come back later and say, but remember this. Right, right. And, you know, as we've said before, you may, in some instances, you may not be able to negotiate certain provisions with certain with certain employers. Yeah. You know, there might be things that are in that big corporately owned dental practice associate agreement that they're not willing to change. But at least you know what you got. Right, right. You and know? also it's the, you know, it's just the termination notice. If you have a 60-day termination notice, use manage that to your advantage. Give your notice if, I don't know, if you're moving, you know, and obviously I know we, unfortunately we hear, you know, someone gives their notice and then they get fired the next day. I, I guess that's part of the risk. But, well, it's you know, in the contract. Right. You know, yeah. if, if the only way they could do that is, if, you know, you should know that I got to give 60 days yeah. and that there's a possibility that when I give that 60 days, they're going to tell me that there's the door, right. you know? And so knowing that too, though, means that you don't wait to start your job search until after you've been fired. You say, hey, I'm yeah. thinking I'm going to give notice to this place and I'll just let you know. They may tell me, you know, there's the door. If if that happens, am I able to start like on a right. more part-time basis sooner? Because I might need a job in a yeah. week or two. Such, you know? such a good point. You have contingency plans set up for yourself. And you know when those things happen, and it, it's a, sad to say it, but it's because the associate and the owner do not have a good relationship. It doesn't mean, you know, you said breakups are bad, but some breakups are better than, than right. others, where the other people don't want to see the other person miserable for the rest of their lives. Right. And you know, uh, and also associates, you know, we had an associate who moved across the country because his awesome wife's in a residency, gave us as much notice as possible, tried to set us up for success so we could find someone new. It was a perfect example of how when you have a good relationship right. with your associate, good things happen. Go and figure. <laughs> so let's, uh, the finale here, also an experiential one, uh, maybe like having a clear bonus structure. It can vary from associate office to office and having a clear bonus structure that is attainable as well can be hard to yeah. find. Um, to me, uh, a clear bonus structure, that shouldn't be, right. that shouldn't be a thing. You know, if, if, if we look at an associate agreement and, I, and read it, and, you, and I can't understand how the compensation's right. working, then that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we've said before, there are certain provisions and agreements that are hard to negotiate and hard to change. One of the things that I feel like that isn't is if there's something that's not clear when right. you read it and you don't understand it, then that needs to be revised. Yeah. And if an employer is not willing to revise something that is that you don't understand to make it understandable to everybody, then that's probably not a good place to go. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a clear point. I mean, you've, you've said before, people who start off unreasonable don't get more reasonable. And I'm yeah. sure things that start off confusing, if you take them, it's just gonna be a complex, confusing thing for you. I mean, I've seen associates will send me this long thing. You know, I get 25% up to $50,000. If I if I exceed $150,000 a month, I get 22.8% of that. I said, sometimes these things are just very, you, this is why you need someone to review this with you because it's not clear. And you know, stuff that's not clear causes Sometimes a crisis letter, lawsuits. Yeah, 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 right. And that's not good for either either right. party. Like you know, if you're if you're the employer, and somebody comes to you and says, "Look, I'm reading this bonus thing, and I don't understand it," 
well, then it's like, well, then let's do it so that we both understand it. Because contracts, here's, you know, let you in on some law school stuff, yeah. you know, this is week one of contracts, one yeah. first year law school. You need to have a meeting of the minds, which right. means that two people have to agree that this is what's in that contract. And, and, if, and if two reasonable people can read the same thing and, and, and come away with a different uh, right. interpretation, then that leads to, as you said, a dispute. Nobody wants a dispute. Yeah. You know, even if you think you're going to quote unquote win the dispute in this situation as an employer, that's not good for the relationship. It's not good for the long-term health of the practice. Right. You know, you're trying to get somebody in there to help you and to help your patients. You're not trying to bring somebody in to win a lawsuit against. Yeah. Right. And right. It's, it's just not good for you. It's not good for them. It should be very understandable. This is what I'm going to do. And when I do this, you're going to do right. that. And here it is. Do you get it? You get it? Yes, I get it. Great. Shake hands, sign the document, yeah. and away we go. And we'll probably never look at the contract right. again. Yeah. You know, the contracts that get pulled out and get yeah, scrutinized yeah. are the ones where you're like saying, well, it looked to me like I was supposed to get this. Yeah, but the way I read this right. is like, you know, this is English language stuff. Like, and we're talking about, you know, lawyers prepared it. Hopefully a lawyer reviewed it. And we got two professionals who've gone to a whole lot of school right. who are signing it. Like those four people that are part of this little, this little, you know, kumbaya, they're gonna they're gonna put together this 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 associate agreement and sign it. Between the four of them, they should be able to right. articulate something to paper that everybody understands. So so true. I, th I think you know it's kind of a just a great point of that. Clarity, you know, is important in what you're signing. It's a lot of c words. Clarity, contracts, to, you know, to prevent a crisis for you. And you know, it's, this whole season was about helping associates navigate this. And I think just someone who's went to dental school deals with dentists as you do. There's very little taught about this in dental school to none. A lot of the words on the street send people in the wrong direction. Oh, for like sure. My faculty member said <laughs> yeah. restrictive covenants are not a thing. Uh, so, you know, yes. I, I think it's it's just such a, a key point to wrap up about how clear you need things. And if it's not clear, don't sign the contract, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And if and if they're not willing to to make it clear, yeah, that that's a big red yeah. flag. So there you go. Season one, Paul. In the books. Awesome value. No no cliffhangers here, yeah. right? I guess. Um, hopefully not, because um, we don't want to leave things to chance, yeah, as we said. Sure. Right? Exactly. We're not going to be guilty yeah, yes. of what we preach. Uh, so, uh, folks, uh, next up, we'll have season two. We're going to stick with associate agreements. We're going to flip the coin, nice. and we're going to look at it from the perspective of the practice owner. But again, with both of these seasons and all these episodes, if you are a practice owner, I think it's good to understand yeah, sure. what associates should be looking for, uh, because sometimes the associate doesn't know what they should be yeah. asking. And again, this is a relationship that you want to succeed, and it's a quasi-partnership. Sure. And if the other person doesn't know what they should be asking you to get to that point where you have a meeting in the minds, yeah. then maybe you need to suggest that. Same thing, you know, from for this next season, uh, from the employer's perspective, associates, you're gonna benefit from understanding where this practice is coming from, whether they're doing the right things and and, and understand the context of, uh, of your employment so and important. the agreements they're gonna get. Looking forward to season two, thanks Rob. Absolutely, thank you Paul, and thanks everyone for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a good review on Google Play 
or on uh, Apple, yeah, I, iTunes, Google Play, iTunes, not even iTunes. It's right, it's yeah. the, a podcast, iPod. I'm not an oh, Apple yeah, guy. Yeah, 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 that's true. I know. I have to confess, yeah. you know, I'm not cool enough. But thanks, everybody. It's uh, always a pleasure, Paul. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos, and don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.